Greetings, passengers of the Brace and Place podcast, a podcast all about the TV show Snowpiercer. As always, I will be your conductor slash host, Hillary. Be advised that this podcast does contain spoilers, so use caution as needed. Themes of suicide are also present, so care for yourself while listening. In today's episode, I will review Season 2, Episode 7, titled Our Answer for Everything. We will conduct an episode recap, move on to questions, theories, and predictions, and as always, we'll end with our segment, What Random, Burning, Completely Irrelevant Question About the Train Has Hillary Asked This Week? But first, brace in place for our official entry into this week's episode. Hello, everybody. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode about season two, episode seven of our beloved show Snowpiercer. Thank you for joining me. As always, feel free to leave an iTunes review and find our group on Facebook. Just search for Brace in Place, a Snowpiercer podcast. We've had a lot of new people joining us in the last couple weeks. And so discussions are picking up, theories are being thrown out. It's just a ton of fun. So feel free to find us. I've also started putting this, um, podcast up on other podcasting venues. I don't know what the correct word is, platforms, I guess. Um, So I started off just on Spreaker and iTunes, but have started putting it up on other uh, platforms as well. So please let me know um, through the Facebook group or however it is that you're able to find me um, if those platforms are working well for you or if there are other uh, methods that are out there that I'm not aware of. So housekeeping stuff is done. Let's move right into this episode. So this episode started um, with, uh, it doesn't really explicitly say the time frame, but you kind of assume that it's um, about halfway through maybe Melanie's departure. So there's there's no, um, we don't really, we don't hear from Melanie. Uh, she's not really brought up a ton in this episode. So it was a stark difference from last week's episode that was all about Melanie. Um, This one just showed everything that was going on in the train after the Breachman massacre um, that happened in episode five at the very end. So it picks up right where the episode five left off and Till is basically in a, a train car looking at all of the Breachmen that were murdered. And um, she's working with Roche on trying to help figure out, you know, who did the attack, who's killing these people, what's going on. And so you see Till looking around at these dead bodies and she, um, at some point finds a a button that has a W on it and it's not a new looking button. It's an old vintage looking button. And so she kind of tucks that away in her pocket and that'll come up later. Um, and this kind of made me start thinking, um, I don't know how many of you guys watched, um, or read the books, the hunger games, but remember the Capitol was just this awful oppressive regime and, um, Katniss Everdeen created, um, the the revolution that kind of came and took the capital out and fought for equality for everybody because people were starving, you know, very similar kind of idea and themes as Snowpiercer. But I can't remember if it was at the end of the first Hunger Games, but uh, we were introduced to the Mockingjay symbol. And as soon as you saw the Mockingjay or read about the Mockingjay, you knew that that was a part of the revolution. And I wish that there was something like that with Snowpiercer. I wish there was some symbol or some graphic or 
something. I don't know. Um, and I, I don't know why, but the, the W button just kind of got me thinking about that. Um, cause my husband has talked about using our fancy 3d printer to print some, uh, Wilford industry stuff. And I'm like, cool. I love that because I love Snowpiercer, but I almost want there to be like a, a big red circle and a line through it, you know, like a no sign over the W cause no Wilford Taylor's all the way. Um, so that's just kind of a side note. We need some kind of imagery. We need some kind of symbol, um, like the Mockingjay. So come on, people, think of this. Um, or maybe there's already been something discussed, and I'm I'm forgetting it. So please let me know if that's the case. Um, during this scene, you also see Boki is in there. All of his friends were just killed. So he's this big buff guy, and he's just sitting there having a big old cry. Um, and he blames the tail. He says that... Um, he, he just, he knows in his gut that it was the tail. And so he's there. He's very upset. Um, Pastor Logan is there with him and prays with him, is trying to give him some comfort. And he um, gives him a little St. Christopher um, necklace chain kind of thing um, with a little... Um, pendant, St. Christopher pendant, um, for protection. And so, uh, that was kind of a nice moment. Um, but we find out more about what's going on with the pastor later. Um, then we cut to, um, Till trying to find out what's going on with this button. And she goes and she seeks out LJ and Oz, um, cause Osweiler and LJ have just been hanging out, doing their chores and mopping stuff up and mopping up all the blood and everything. Um, and so, she till doesn't really care to talk much to LJ. She's, you know, just kind of off being her own little psychotic self. Um, she kind of zeroes in on Oz and says, Oz, I need you to help me with this. And they used to be partners. So they kind of fall right back into that, which was nice to see. Um, and Oz says, you know, I think I might know where this button came from. Um, there's an older Russian woman named Katya, K-A-T-Y-A. Um, and Oz takes, uh, Till to go see um, Katya. And we'll get to that scene in a little bit. Then we cut to Audrey laying in the bath over with Mr. Wilford. She's over on Wilford's car and um, she hears Ben kind of chime in to do kind of a welfare check on her. Um, and Wilford doesn't want to answer. And Ben says, you know, you psychotic old goat. I know that you're over there. I know you're listening. So Wilford finally picks up and by then Audrey has gotten herself out of the bath, comes out looking glorious in a very fancy, uh, sultry robe, all freshly cleaned. And <clears throat> she, she says, Ben, I'm fine. I want to stay. It's okay. Um, so then you cut to Ben and Andre over on the, over on Snowpiercer and they take that to mean that she has been compromised. Um, they just kind of make that assumption because she wants to stay and because she's evidently siding with Wilford. I, I, I didn't really care for that part. Um, I don't think that they would have automatically assumed that. Um, I'm not assuming that. I know some people are. Um, there's a lot of online chatter about, Audrey and is she siding with Wilford? Has she already kind of been turned or is she still going to be fighting for the tail and fighting for Snowpiercer? Um, not just the tail, fighting for everybody. Um, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe that she would have turned that quickly for me personally. Um, so I didn't care for that part and I'm kind of 
looking at Andre, like, why do you think she would have turned that quickly? That's just, that doesn't make sense to me. Then we cut over, over to Big Alice and we see Sykes walking in. She kind of looked like she'd been crying. I'm not sure if I'm reading into that. So let me know if you guys thought that too. But she goes up to Alex and Alex is like, Sykes, what's going on? What is happening? Um, I don't know what's happening on Snowpiercer. I don't know what Wilford is doing. He's not telling me anything. He used to tell me everything. And so Sykes says, um, basically, if if Wilford wanted you to know something about this, he would have told you. So kind of like butt out. Um, if you if you don't know it, it's because he doesn't want you to know. So that was an interesting moment between the two of you. Go back over to Snowpiercer. And now things are starting to brew. Um, the tailies and uh, the people that are upset about the breachmen being killed everybody's starting to fight each other. People are blaming the fight or blaming the the massacre on the tail. And so tensions are rising and there's starting to be some, some fights breaking out all across Snowpiercer. Then we cut to Till and Oz go to see um, the, the Russian old lady, um, Katya. And she's in this cute little car that's completely hoarded with all sorts of random little trinkets and jewelry and hats and just the most random stuff. You just wonder where did this lady come up with all this? Cause you were only supposed to be able to bring one bag onto Snowpiercer from what I think, from what I remember. Um, but they go in there and her grandson is in there with her and he speaks English and Russian. And so he's able to translate and Till says, you know, I need to know where this button came from. Where, where did this button come from? She pulls out a jacket and you look at the jacket and it looks like the, um, the buttons match. Um, but what's curious is there's not a missing button. And so they're kind of like, well, we figured out what jacket it's from, but what good is that? But then, um, the old lady says this came from another button or it came from another jacket, a sister jacket. And, um, I traded it for a a nice fur hat and Till says, oh my gosh, well, where did you get this? Who, who gave you the sister jacket? It was a fancy, person that came from like first class and very tall. So I'm immediately thinking who would that who would meet that criteria? I'm not totally sure. But Till's at least got a lead. So yay for Till. She's she is doing her divest uh de- what word am I looking for? Detective. She's doing her detective work. She's finding some answers. Then we go over to Layton, over back on um on Snowpiercer and he is uh, making an announcement because people are telling him that people are fighting the tail. People are blaming the tail for the, um, for the breachman massacre. So he makes an announcement basically saying my notes say one tail comma will for bad period. <laughs> so that was the gist of his announcement. We are one tail. We need to stick together. And Wilford is the enemy. And this announcement did not go over well. Um, I could see in Layton's mind, he thinks, well, you just tell people, remind them of why we did this and why we fought for this, and then everything will stop. But that's not exactly how it works. Um, People are still hella pissed off and people still have all this anger and grief and they're not sure what to do with it. So this this announcement does not go well. And if anything, it kind of makes things even worse. And Ruth is there and Ruth is kind of looking at him like, I'm not sure if you should have said all that. Um, So there so there goes Layton's announcement that did not go over super well. Um, 
now we're bouncing back over to Big Alice. This this episode was very much kind of like a game of ping pong. Back forth, back forth, back forth. Um, Audrey and Wilford, she's out of the bath. Um, he says, you know, I want you here with me. Why are you here? And she says, I'm here because I love you and because I want to be here. And I want to know what um, what's going on over here and da da da. And he he's not having it. He says, I don't believe you. He's super mean and super nasty to her. Um, and then he says, I actually need to show you something. So he kind of takes her by the hand and leads her to a, a section off of the, it looked like it was kind of by the cafeteria car over on Big Alice. Everything's pretty cramped over there. Um, and he opens up a room and it's, it's dark and spooky looking and who do you see strapped down, literally strapped down, basically with a straight jacket on to the chair is old Kevin. Kevin! I feel like I'm having a Home Alone m- moment, you know, where I need to faint after, like Catherine O'Hara. Um, Kevin! Oh my gosh, he's alive. He's laying there. He's got, uh, you know, uh, like wraps around his um, around his wrists. I'm, I'm having lots of brain farts here. Um, because he tried to, you know, he, he used the, uh, knife on his wrists when they were in the bath and he's healing from that. But just in general, he doesn't look good. Um, he does not look good. He looks like he's maybe lost some weight. His eyes are completely, um, bloodshot and looks like he's been crying. He's sweaty. Um, he's, he's got darkest bags under his eyes. He's just, he is not looking good. Um, and during this interaction, well, where Wilford leaves him, um, leaves Audrey and Kevin to talk amongst themselves. Um, he doesn't really even say much. It's mostly Audrey kind of taking the reins. And so during this interaction, um, Kevin and Miss Audrey kind of connect when they, both realize that he did the same thing to both of them. Um, Audrey is trying to say, you know, he did this to me too. But instead of them kind of bonding over how awful it is, Audrey is saying, wow, he must really love you. Um, He took you to the bath. You must be really special. Um, And so I think that she's setting the tone um, for the two of them to eventually have some kind of attack on Wilford. But I, I just, I don't think that any of her actions that we can take it at face value. I really don't. Um, but we'll get into that a little bit more with the predictions. So uh, she does her move that she does like over in the night car with that little hypnosis room that she has. She turns all the, she turns the lights off. She turns, um, pulls the blinds shut on the windows and tries to really connect with him to get, him to realize, um, I don't know what she was trying to get him to realize, just that that he needs to kind of bow at the feet of Wilford, which he eventually does. Um, eventually, the two of them walk back to um, Wilford's train cabin, and he bows at Wilford's feet, and she says, lick his slipper. And he licks his slipper, um, just without even thinking about it. And not even just a teeny little lick, like a full-blown back of the tongue is getting hairy kind of thing. Big lick. And so there's just a lot of really goofy stuff with there. But I I was a little intrigued when they were walking back to Wilford's train cabin. You could see that a lot of people in the cafeteria cart knew Kevin. Um, you know, he was in hospitality. That's kind of the face of the 
of the train. Um, so a lot of people knew Kevin and a lot of people probably thought he was dead. Um, and then you see him walking around the train. It's, it's pretty bizarre. So a lot of people were giving a lot of really weird looks. Um, then we go to the scene where Wilford between there at some point, Wilford and Alex were having a little bit of a talk and Wilford is not thrilled with Alex. Um, he's not happy that she has reconnected with Melanie. He's not happy that she wants answers and wants to know what's going on. Basically, she's just starting to kind of question his authority and he does not like that. And he basically tells her, um, you owe me. I saved you. The cold would have gotten you if, um, if I hadn't been there to save you. And Alex's response is, this is not a fair situation for you to put me in. You're making me pick between you and my mom. And that's not fair. And so you go, girl. She is starting to speak up for herself. She is starting to question his authority. And it is fascinating to watch. Then we cut to Till over in the first class dining car. Now it's just dining car um, since classes have been kind of starting to dissolve a bit with the revolution. And it's basically this lady um, named Eugene, Eugenia, Eugenia. I don't even know how to say that word. I don't know anybody by that name. Um, But she, she's been in first class. We've seen her before. She, she, they haven't really focused too much on her character, but she's one that would kind of give some little off the cuff under her breath kind of remarks. Um, when there would be announcements going and things like that. Very glamorous looking, very high class looking. And she basically admits that she played a part in it. And so they find um, the jacket that had the missing button. They find it in her stuff. Till sits down with her and says, you know, you helped participate in this massacre for the breachmen. And um, there's one named Cherry that she was able to really pinpoint her on. And she says, it wouldn't have been an easy fight. You have to have some marks somewhere and gets her to remove a little bit of her makeup under her eye. And lo and behold, she's got a big old black eye under there. So she gets arrested. And as she's being taken away, she says something to the effect of till you don't even know what you're doing. You are in so deep. You can't even see what's in front of you. So that's a very interesting statement that I think in future episodes we might come back to. Um, does this lady, Eugenia, whatever her name is, know more than than meets the eye? Does she know more about who is working for, for Wilford? Um, Roche was there. Is there some funny business going on with him? I don't know. I don't know. It was just a, just a little snippet of a statement that she said that I thought, mm, I wonder if we're going to come back to that later. So... While this arrest is going on and all of that, there's attacks going on. Um, People are attacking the tailies and things aren't going well. And so people that are pretty easily identified as being a member of the tail because they kind of wear dirtier clothes and people just know them um, are starting to hide out. So one of the doctors has an empty exam room and she pulls uh, Ruth and Zara and Winnie. And I think the last Australian might have been in there too. I'm not sure. But um, the doctor just pulls a bunch of them in and says, hide out in here. So while they're in there, the Winnie, one of the little girls is uh, the only little girl really that I've seen um, from the tale anyway, um, is back there and she starts crying and she sees um, 
lights and she kind of cuddles up to lights and Ruth looks at her and is kind of wondering why, why is she scared? What's going on? And Sykes, or excuse me, uh, lights has to say, you know what? She remembers you. Um, she remembers you from when you took her mom's arm and you were going to initially take her arm and everything kind of comes together for Ruth. You can kind of see that she's realizing exactly how much damage had been done by the setup the way that it was. And so she finds out that not only did this lady die, um, Winnie's mom died from complications from having her arm taken, which Ruth orchestrated, but then her brother died. Um, so this little girl has no family, um, except the people that she has kind of formed, uh, relationships with in the tale. And you can really see the wheels turning in Ruth's head. Um, Later on in the episode, Winnie kind of sneaks out and is hiding out in a different part of the train and Ruth decides to go find her and they have a little bit of a heart to heart about it. And Ruth basically says, I'm sorry, Um, I shouldn't have done what I what I did. Um, I lost my mom, too. We find out a little bit about Ruth's history. I, I lost my mom, too, when I was young and I was just doing what I thought was right. But now I look back on it and now I know it wasn't right. And she tells her, I'm sorry. And it was it was a very powerful tearjerker moment that, um, you know, I, I named my I named my podcast after a Ruth quote. And she's my girl. And I just I love seeing her character develop like that. It was a very, very um, intense moment. One of two very intense moments from uh, Ruth during this episode. Then we see Pike is being attacked because he's well known to have come from the tail, even though he's starting to kind of clean up a bit and dress differently. I don't know how he's getting his hands on some of these clothes, but um, he's kind of cleaning up a bit, but people still know that he's from, uh, from the tail. And so he gets hit and dragged out and you think, Oh gosh, that that guy, he's just, he's been through a lot in these last couple episodes. Um, During all of this, you see till start to put the pieces together about, um, who else was involved in the massacre and who else has been involved in these attacks? And she realizes that it's the pastor. Um, the pastor has been involved. He's been leaving these St. Christopher, um, trinkets with people. Um, and she just, she puts the pieces together that he, he, he's kind of, it, it was all an act, him being close to God and him, um, putting on this front. He, he was working for Wilford and he is a Wilford, um, believer. So Till goes to confront the pastor and they start getting into a big old fight. And eventually he pulls out, um, uh, something that looked like, I thought he was going to pull out a gun, but he pulls out this kind of bag like contraption. And while Till is kind of getting her bearings and, and recovering from their fight, he runs over to the corner and puts his bag over her his head and attaches it to the wall and starts to um, inhale the the um, cold, I, you know, coldness from outside. Um, so he was trying to kill himself um, the same way that Josie almost died and the same way that um, they tried to kill Melanie, you know, death by frozen, frozen lung. And she is able to kind of get up to him and knock him off of his chair and pull the bag off of his head when it's maybe 30 or 40% frozen. So 
my theory with that is I think that he's still going to live um, because Josie was way more frozen than that. And we saw that the weird scientists were able to bring her back. So I, unless they show somebody like super duper duper dead, I'm not believing it in this show um, because they love to bring people that you think are dead back. And I don't think they're even trying with this one, but you know what? Maybe I'll be wrong and maybe he'll totally die because they also like to do, um, they also like to have some gotcha moments. So we'll see. I, my guess is he's probably alive, but we'll, we'll wait and see. So now we've at least figured out some of the people that were involved in these attacks, but there's still, there's a lot of people that died and it couldn't have just been the lady from first class and the pastor, um, cause eight people died and these were strong people that were in good shape that would have known how to defend themselves, I would think. Um, so there had to have been a lot more people involved. So we're still kind of in the tip of the iceberg with that. Um, then we go to, uh, the area where the people that were upset about the tail, they pull Pike back and they're super mad at him. And he's kind of like their symbol for the tail. And they say, we're, we're going to take his arm. We're going to, we're going to punish him for killing our friends and for, you know, just being, being horrible. And Layton comes running in and he and Pike and had had a conversation earlier where, um, Pike said, you know what, I'm, I'm really struggling with what I did to Terrence, but it gives me comfort to at least know that you owe me. Um, it's, and I, I, I kind of get his line of thinking. He likes at least knowing that one of the most quote unquote powerful people on the train owes him a huge favor. Um, and so cut to this scene where people are, you know, attacking Pike and getting ready to put his arm through the train to have it frozen off. And Layton comes in and says, Nope, you're not actually mad at him. You're mad at me. So take my arm. And so the people that are attacking Pike are like, okay. So they take the little cuff off of Pike and they start putting it on Layton. And then who comes in? Ruth comes in. And so Ruth comes in and says, this is madness. What are you all doing? Which was, I had to have a little bit of suspension of disbelief with this because it's like, these people are super mad and super hyped up and they're going to start to quiet down just because Ruth comes in and says, shush, that felt a little a little weird, but whatever. Um, so here comes Ruth. She comes in and says, this is not how we're wanting to do things. This is, this used to be how we did things, but no more, no more. I've been the person to do that. I've taken an arm and you're never the same after you do it. And so it's, it's a, a big loop around to her conversation with Winnie earlier. And it was, it was the second really intense Ruth moment in the episode that I felt really impressed with her character development and the writing. And it was just, it was really entertaining to watch. And I found myself getting a little choked up at both of the parts with Ruth. Then the last part of the episode was um, at, at some point when they were talking to the Russian lady, um, she had mentioned something about red lanterns and how people had been coming to get red lanterns from her. And that, um, at some point we learned that Wilford liked the look of a red lantern through a, um, through stained glass. And so, um, this episode took place where they were going around, um, some kind of mountain pass or in the Himalayas maybe. And you can see a big corkscrew that was, 
computer generated, but it looked so cool. Um, you see the whole train going around this big corkscrew mountain area, and you see a significant number of the um, of the windows had red lanterns in the in the windowsill, and it was just such a stunning. Um, visual and was just so cool. And my husband and I have talked each week about how much we love the scenes where they show the train, um, you know, and they're all fake, but it's, it's fine. We just love it. It's so cool to think about what the train would look like, um, but to see it barreling through the snow like that. And so to see how big it would be, cause you know, we've heard the train is 10 miles long. So you think of how long that would look and to see it going around this corkscrew with these red lanterns was just, it was really cool. It gave me the goosebumps and it's kind of making me have goosebumps thinking about it just now. So it kind of makes you wonder how much support does Wilford have on the train? Because they're saying when people hang their red lanterns, it means they're, they're calling for Wilford. They want him to come back. Um, you see Roche in there with his family. And there had been some talk online about whether Roche's family was real or not, just because it never shown him. Um, and we know that he'd lost, I want to say two of his three children. Um, or maybe one out of his two children, but he'd lost, uh, you know, members of his family. So you're thinking, is this guy traumatized? Did he, did he make up that he still has a wife and child alive? But then you go and he, he goes into his little train car and you see his wife and his child sitting there. So he's, he's for real. He's got a real family. They're alive. Um, and they, he says, let's hold off. Let's hold off on the red lantern. He's still thinking about it. So you're not totally sure where Roche is at. I think there's a lot more to him and a lot more to his character and his involvement with, with Wilford. So that's one of my predictions um, as we're wrapping up our recap is I think we're going to find out a lot more about Roche. Um, what's his history with Wilford? And has he been working for Wilford? Um, is he totally on board now with one train helping the tail? To be determined. To be determined. Another big question theory is what is going on with Miss Audrey? Um, is she siding with Wilford? Is she still on board with Snowpiercer? I think she is a performer. And that's something that I think people are missing is this girl is a performer and she's she seems very intelligent. She seems very complex. She's also very traumatized and motivated to find herself again in the midst of all of this trauma and in the midst of her history with this super duper crazy guy. So I I don't buy into the fact that she's turned already. That just doesn't make sense to me. So I, I'm playing into the narrative that she is a performer and that this is her biggest performance yet. And the there is still so much more to come with these two. But I believe that she's going to be an integral part in Snowpiercer helping take the train back eventually, hopefully, and Wilford meeting his ultimate demise. Um, something else that came up in the episode is Wilford at one point told Sykes to prep Icy Bob because it's time. And so that leads one to kind of wonder what's the timing like? Was this right around the time where they were looping around the corner to go pick up Melanie and he's going to sick Icy Bob out to try to take out Melanie? Um, so that's, that's going to be coming in the next episode. Um, in the next episode as well, um, you see, you know, some, some flash forwards to the next episode, obviously. And one of them showed a guy dangling outside in the space suit 
snow suit kind of thing, um, trying to fix something on the train. The only person that we've ever seen do that yet is Melanie. And so I think um, that maybe there's going to be something happening where where Wilford is trying to convince everybody, we don't need Melanie. Um, we don't need her. I made this train. I designed this train. I built this train. It's mine. You, we don't need anybody but me on here. And maybe there's going to be a point where they say, okay, prove it. And so, because I would think stuff would go wrong mechanically with a train when it's running 100% of the time for years and years on end through uh, really, really cold temperatures all over the world. Stuff is going to break. And so I think that um, there's there might be a point where, where Wilford needs to prove himself um, and he needs to put on that suit and go outside and show everybody that he's capable. Um, it was kind of hard to see the, the face on that uh on the the preview for next week. Um, Some were wondering if it was Icy Bob. Icy Bob's a big guy. I don't know if those ropes that held Melanie um, would be able to hold Icy Bob, but maybe it's him. Um, We'll just have to wait and see. So that is my recap for this week. Um, It was a good episode. Um, It was different than last week, for sure. Um, Still left a lot of questions, but the way that they are handling this season is just so fun to watch. Um, and I have honestly enjoyed every single episode and it seems like the general consensus online is that most people are as well. Um, there's a few people that are a little put off by, uh, the, the weirdness going on with Wilford and, you know, the, the mango and then the licking the slipper. And, you know, I, I keep thinking about the eyeball with LJ. There, there is a little bit of a cringe element to all this, but they're they're having to set the tone for him being a total weirdo, um, and so it's just kind of part. It's one piece of the puzzle. Um, I don't focus too much on it. I just kind of say, well, that was gross and weird, and move on. Um, but it's it's playing into the into the character development of Wilford being a total weirdo. So there you go. Thank you, uh, thank you, Snowpiercer. So for my my random burning, completely irrelevant question, um, the the grandson that was in the room with his grandma, the lady from Russia, um, some people online were talking about how if they were on Snowpiercer, they would just want to go in that room and hang out all day <laughs> because they just seemed like pretty chill people. They've got lots of stuff to play with and look at and they interact with other people when they do their trades. And, you know, it just could be could be kind of a fun, relaxed life. And I've thought about this oftentimes. What would I do on Snowpiercer to pass the time? What would you do if you're on Snowpiercer to pass the time? And it started making me think about becoming a race walker, um, which is uh, growing up, we always called it speed walking, but now I think they're called race walking. So we want to use the term that, that they identify with. So race walking, which is walking really fast and it's an Olympic sport and it's been an Olympic sport for a really long time since like 1908. And so think of this giant train and I want to eventually see some kind of setup of where's the walkways because we see some walkways underneath the train where all the mechanical stuff is. But then we see some other walkways, you know, to get into the doctor's offices and to get into the room where they make the announcements and, you know, things like that. So we know that there's some access to walkways, but they're always pretty small. Um, You can't really, it's kind of hard to pass people in those walkways. But 
it's 10 miles long, except for when they show these scenes where they're fighting each other and there's like a crowd coming and stuff like that. You don't really run into other people. So it's it's big enough that I would think maybe race walking would be a skill that one could really take up. So if you were on Snowpiercer, would you want to become a race walker? I did a little digging about race walking because I've just always been kind of fascinated with it. It used to be people that would just not quite run, but could walk fast. And that was kind of where they landed it. But um, who was the guy? I'm looking at my, uh, his name was Jersey Hosleber, Jersey Hosleber, a Polish walking enthusiast who moved to Mexico to create the world's most dominant race walking force. And he was alive until a few years ago. And he was called the father of the walk. And he was kind of a shorter guy. And before this guy came along, it was mostly tall people that did race walking because they had longer legs and they could cover more distance. But what what this guy found out is that when you're shorter, you might be more flexible and you might be able to increase your stride and get more movement out of every step. So he kind of created the wiggle. Um, so if you've seen people that that do speed walking, that do race walking, they kind of do this thing with their hips where they kind of sashay a little bit. And that was him. So he came up with this idea to use your pelvis more. And so race walkers from now, nowadays, they twist their hips more, they drop their hips lower, they have to walk in an extremely straight line. And it is a very serious sport because the most important rule of race walking is that one foot must be on the ground at all times. So they can't have any feet in the air that's called flight time and it's illegal. But there are some people that do race walking that have found um, that they can touch very briefly, maybe about 40 milliseconds of flight time, and the judges won't notice. But that's just enough to improve their race times. So think of how much mental uh, concentration and discipline it would take to be able to do a sport like this, where you can't literally lift your feet off the ground for more than 40 milliseconds at a time, or you're going to be disqualified. And sometimes they do these races for miles and miles and miles. They have six minute miles, um, which is uh, crazy fast. And so I'm thinking if I were on Snowpiercer, maybe that would be a way that I would get my exercise in. Um, maybe there would be a race walking club that I could um, be a, a part of and we could find a section of the train that maybe nobody goes to um, so that we wouldn't have to worry about getting caught in in the, you know, we wouldn't have to worry about, you know, stomping all over each other because it's crazy busy. So there's my thought. If you were on Snowpiercer, would you become a race walker? I think I might. I think I might. And another thought that is kind of a side note of this would there be Olympics? Um, the Olympics have only ever been canceled, fully canceled during times of um, world wars, but they're postponed now because of COVID. So what would happen? And would would some world-class athletes be on Snowpiercer? Some world-class athletes have a lot of money. Maybe they'd be able to um, buy a ticket on Snowpiercer. So maybe they would want to host their own kind of impromptu Olympics, or maybe they would just want to be a part of Hillary's fun race walking club. I don't know. Um, I don't know. It's just kind of something to think about. So 
let me know in the Facebook group. Let me know in the um, iTunes review. Would you be a race walker? Is that something you'd be interested in? Or would you be getting high with the Russian lady um, who does her little trade business? You know, I think I might actually prefer a combination of both. Um, maybe, maybe race walking on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays, but getting high with the Russian lady on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Not sure. Just kind of shake it up a little bit. I would think being on Snowpiercer, you have to have some kind of a routine. Otherwise, the days are just going to like totally blend together. Um, but they've also got a lot of other stuff going on, like a political uprising. So maybe maybe the race walking would kind of get put on the back burner for a little bit. But thank you for joining me for my show about Snowpiercer. And as always, we'll end with a quote today from our girl, Ruth. And that quote says, this man is your leader. You chose him. You want someone else in charge? Then call for change. But don't strip him down and mutilate him just because you can. It's not right. Believe me, I know. I've done it. You'll never be the same again once you have. This is not the way. Not anymore.